1: How much is enough money? Well, the answer is not a number. It's a mindset. It might be that you need to understand on a deeper level, what money really means to you for the money we spend. Let's say it's on a vacation. Are you spending money on a trip or for a much deeper, more important reason? Maybe it's romance with your spouse. Maybe it's adventure with your friends. Today, Liza Peterson, CFP and author of The Mindful Millionaire, helps us with the mental side of money. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. Liza Peterson, I would say live, but you and I are live. If you're listening to the podcast, it's just recently recorded from sedona northern arizona sedona arizona a gorgeous place on earth a place of let's call it i don't know mindfulness and it's a it's a low stress place right yeah definitely
0: <laughs> i'm
1: sending those vibes get, out i know it's funny if you could see liza and as we talk I immediately I I'm just feel calm talking to Liza. So so you are you, you really are I let's call it a thought leader and an expert on dealing on the the mental side of all the things that come in the baggage with money which is this thought of scarcity the the thought of abundance stress around money all those things that we struggle with because we very often talk about this thought that money and investing is simple, but it's not easy. And the reason it's not easy is because it's so dramatically emotional. And yeah. there's such a behavioral component and there's a mental component. And let's start with you, Liza, about you growing up and your childhood, and I know you had an interesting childhood that kind of set you on this path about being an expert in this world. Uh, and you've talked openly about this, but talk to us about what you learned as a kid growing up.
0: So, growing up, I came from a home where my parents had barely finished high school. They did not have any education around money. and. As you can imagine, they weren't naturally inclined to being great with it, and so there was a lot of stress with money growing up. Even though my parents were working class, my mom cut hair, my dad was a worked the night shift as a dispatcher for a trucking company, they did not do a good job with money. And so the stress that it created early in life I had a part of me that just sometimes this happens where you're not really sure where you came from, but I cared a lot about peace and not fighting about money. (laughs) And so I decided early on that I couldn't rely on them to teach me what I needed to learn about money, and I set off on my own path, you know, even starting a business at age 8, and then at 10 I remember getting my mom to take me to the bank to set up a checking account because I wanted to manage my money. And I even lied about a date of birth on an application at JCPenney's to get a credit card at 11 or 12, just to give you an idea of how obsessed (laughs) I was about my credit score. This is back in like 1978, 79, but that was me.
1: So you, just as a little kid, well, what's it? So a lot of parents fight right about and, yeah. and money is a top three catalyst for disagreements. But tell me about yours.
0: Yeah. So I think it was really the inability to have any sense of delayed gratification. So. They would buy things as soon as credit and credit was really taking off in the 70s. As soon as they could figure out how to buy something with credit, they would buy it. And then they wouldn't pay any attention to what the repayment structure would be, what the payments were going to look like into the future. It was just live in the moment and then we'll deal with it. And they both had their own shadows or problems. And so they would spend money on things. My dad would buy cars or and then they'd get repossessed. Or my mom would spend money on clothing and it was a emotional thing for her. So she would spend money to feel better because she wasn't in touch with her feelings and she'd come from a really traumatic background. And it just led to this constant clash of why are you spending money on that? Why are you spending money on that? We don't have a way to pay for it. And those were the messages. I remember being woken up in the middle of the night on a regular basis because my dad would start work at like 11 o'clock at night and I'd already be asleep, but that's when they would fight about it. And oof, you talk about some patterns when I still to this day get woken up in the middle of the night, I go into that same fight, flight or freeze mode because the, fr- the fights were so common for much of my childhood
1: so this is just parents that were uh, they they use money as a instant gratification and Mm -hmm. but they both kind of did it and and they would both blame each other on it right it it was it was not just one or the other and then you as just a little kid said i got i got to get out of this pattern and then you did that literally starting at age 10 when you had your own account, your own credit card, your own bank account. So you just knew really early on this was kind of a calling personally and then professionally it became your, your career to help people with this.
0: Yeah, I think what happened was I made a decision just because of what I saw for them that if I had a lot of money, when I was an adult, then I wouldn't have stress in my life. Then all my problems would be solved. And I really did live that way for a pretty long time where it was all about how much money can I save? How much money can I earn? How much money can I can I get in my investing projects? Like everything was about the money and I really did spend my 20s just completely consumed by how to make money sacrificing everything else i think because it was just such a unhealthy drive early on to like try and fix something that i didn't really know how to explore outside of money relationship well
1: what were you doing then in your 20s were you just were were you like working two or three jobs trying to save everything you could like the opposite of maybe your parents What, what was that what were you doing
0: Yeah. Well, first off, I went to college. My parents hadn't gone to college. So I think a lot of going to college was the idea that it would set me up and make it better. Then when I got out of school, I got out of school in 88 and 89 was a really bad economic year. I lived in the Bay Area in San Francisco and the help wanted in the San Francisco Chronicle was like one line of jobs. There was just nothing available. And so I was designing clothes, getting minimum wage, which is what I had studied in, in undergrad. And I woke up one day and I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to follow this creative path, but I can't do it because I'm going to end up just like my parents. So I decided to apply to get my MBA in finance, which could not have been a bigger switch from creative to you know numbers. And, and I got my MBA and then once I got the MBA, it was all about my career uh, and then even then in my, later in my 20s, it became about home ownership and my husband had chosen to become a contractor. And so I started figuring out and strategizing about how we could be making money and growing our, our net worth through real estate ventures. And so I got into that.
1: Did, but now you said though, even though you were focused on you, you were you were putting yourself in a good financial situation. Did that hit a wall though? What happened? It didn't
0: hit a wall. Um, it continued, but what ended up happening, sadly, is in 1999, my dad was was killed um, quite brutally, and it was it was a problem between him and his ex girlfriend and her boyfriend. And long story short, they ended up buying a gun and killing him, and it was pretty brutal. And so, in 1999, I hit a wall because when he died at such a young age i realized that i had never been happy and that i had been really following this false god that i would call money at the time i didn't have a spiritual foundation my parents were hippies and we were into meditation and some other interesting stuff but god wasn't a a theme in my life and um and basically i just fell apart in 1999 i had a really big job at wells fargo at the time i was managing a huge group of people and i literally collapsed on the inside because of what was happening in my in my relationship with myself and what had happened for my father. And then I still kept the facade of everything looked fine. I have this big job. I have all this responsibility. And I started I kind of split into two people back then. So this is like 22 years ago. And that was what laid the foundation for me starting to discover that I had put a lot of um Attention to money and not enough attention to all these other important aspects of life. And I started realizing that most people weren't so extreme as I, but by this time I was working in financial services and working with people. Uh, first, a, a, I left my career after my dad died in executive kind of marketing within a big bank and I went into mortgage, becoming a private mortgage banker for Wells Fargo and eventually a financial advisor. But once I started working with people face to face with money, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not the only one who's struggling with this stuff, with these emotional experiences behind money. And I just saw it hundreds and hundreds of times. And that started to inform me that there was a conversation happening that nobody was talking about, but I was just noticing.
1: And what was that conversation then is that this overemphasis as though, as long as I get a certain amount of money, everything's going to be okay. Is that the, it's almost like, Hey, money's going to be happiness. At some point I got to get there.
0: Well, even deeper than that, like what I noticed is that some people that I worked with, no matter what happened with money, they were just like, they let it roll down their back. Everything was fine. They wouldn't get stressed out. They were just really cool with it. And I and then I saw all these people that were like me, that like something would go wrong and they'd be blaming people. They'd be upset. They'd be angry. They'd be fighting. So a couple would be fighting about something or All these patterns would arise in this emotional relationship with money, and I was witnessing it, and that was the turning point. I was like, some people just have this natural, prosperous way of looking at money, and others are very focused on what can go wrong, what will go wrong, when's the next shoe going to drop, when's it going to fall apart. And that was where I got really curious.
1: So, and that leads you then to this thought and this study of scarcity mindset and then abundance mindset, which I want to, let's go, let's go right into that. I mean, the, well, first let me ask you, obviously there's this mental side and this mental part of relationship between how we think about money and our finances. Is that, is that right out of the gate, this, this dichotomy between abundance and scarcity?
0: The idea that, well, I think it's helpful just to mention that there has been research about what happens to us when we think that there isn't enough of a resource. And Mm, we don't have to look too far. Yeah, what happens? happens? Well, first of all, we all have a perfect example of what happens when we think about toilet paper about a year ago, right? What happened? The minute people noticed that we didn't have enough toilet paper, not only did they hoard the toilet paper, they also started worrying about other things being us running out of other things. So you start to hoard and engage in certain behavior to try and protect yourself. So the research says that when we think, when we're trapped in this idea, there's not enough, we actually tunnel our vision into only seeing a few possible outcomes for any given problem, and we actually have a loss in IQ of between 13 and 14 points. So the decisions that we make is just like losing a full night's sleep. That's about the same difference, but it happens over and over and over again. So we're making decisions with, as they say, half a deck. Like we literally become stupid in our decision-making as a result of scarcity thinking.
1: Wow. Well, okay, so give me an example. So that's a great example. So, right, so the pandemic, it it happens over and over and over again too on a, on a grand scale we just in the southeast where i live we had a pipeline go down like an we had an oil pipeline go down and there was a gas shortage for like 3 or 4 days and it went from kind of bad to people filling up trash bags with gasoline so people were they were hoarding it to the point where they literally like, like somebody's at one point it was on the news that somebody had a, a trash bag Imagine this filling it up with gasoline. It's like leaking everywhere. I think a van blew up I mean just crazy. We've become crazy So, So you're right. It's kind of like how could that be? But to your point mentally, we literally become clinically stupider, right? Mm -hmm. We we become stupid. Give me a money version of that. I mean that's that's an amazing that's like a consumer version, but what would be an example of that? Are we talking about if we're investing and we lose money on a stock, we get crazy and we get dumb about it? If we lose a job, give us yeah, some real life. Totally. Things that happen.
0: So the the data that we look at about the average investor is completely in support of this, which says that the market, let's say it's been at ten percent, the average investor gets three or four percent because. When things get tough, they sell the instruments that could have recovered. So we just throw out all the research. We don't pay attention and we get super emotional and we respond from this emotional place of this is going to continue. This is going to get worse. I need to protect myself and we do this you know in the pandemic there were behaviors that that not just with toilet paper but i think that even the home boom right now like my husband and i specialize in real estate and i am sure that part of what's happening there's a lot of factors in driving up real estate prices But all these people, right, we had a generation of people who said, I don't think I want to be a homeowner, is what they're saying. So people in their 20s and 30s were not buying homes. The pandemic happens, and all of a sudden, everybody's like, oh my gosh, I need to own a home. And so we drive up prices by everyone entering the market at the same time because they're afraid of missing out. Now, granted, maybe it's a good decision, but if we don't know this is happening to us and might be informing our decisions, that's when we get into the land of like hey be careful why are you making this decision is it really good for you or are you just doing it because you're scared that you're gonna miss out
1: fascinating so you're you're almost saying that part of this housing boom that we're we're in right we're and and in every market and I know you're in Arizona but we see this in Arizona and California and Texas and, and Atlanta you see it all over the country, but it's almost, it's a similar phenomenon you're saying. It's almost like a hoarding. Hey, I didn't, I didn't think I wanted a house. I didn't, And then all of a sudden we got hit by this shock and the shock said, hey, you know what? Forever, you're gonna need a house. And you have a generation of people that were renting and thought, hey, no big deal, I don't need to buy a house too. Now, a flood of demand from a group that for a long time was like, I don't know if I need a house.
0: Yeah, so it, it's informing decisions all the time i think what i've learned in helping people is in the in all the stuff that we don't really think about on a regular basis which is if i'm stuck in scarcity ways of thinking Does that cause me to even start trying to save money or even start trying to invest in the stock market? Like we get so frozen in one way of behavior that it becomes really tough to try something different. So the scarcity causes us to live in this place of, well, I didn't do it in the past, so I can't do it in the future. So I'm not even going to try. And so, you know, that kind of leads into that behavior change because let's face it, some people are really good with money. I think that's awesome. I feel like I've always been pretty good with money overall. But there are also a lot of people in one of the wealthiest countries in the world who aren't so good with money. I was curious about like, what can we do for them? How can we help them change their behavior? And scarcity is a key part of that.
1: All right. Well, let's talk about that. So everybody makes money mistakes. I mean, that's every single person in America makes money mistakes. And some people beat themselves up about it. Some people recover from that. Maybe some, tell us how we overcome this, this, I guess to some extent, these money mistakes can lead us down this path of this thought of scarcity, but just in general, how do how should we be overcoming and putting this behind us? I feel like I'm in a therapy session. (laughs)
0: Well, let's touch for a second just on mental health, because I feel like in this year that we've been in this idea of having a healthy sense of well-being as it pertains to our money, like that's the that's the utopian state that we want to arrive at. And so I like to mention that because I think that the mental health is always taking uh, uh, it's it's making an impact in our decisions. And, and so when we think about what can we do to help ourselves, you know, one of the things I started doing after my dad was killed was meditating, because I realized that my mind was all over the map. I realized not back then, but now that I was leading by fear, I was leading by scarcity, fear was making my decisions. And so I think first of all, it's about pausing when we know that we're stuck in a pattern that's not serving us. It's about pausing, breathing, realizing that the things that are happening in our lives are more often than not very temporary. We think that they're going to continue down a certain path, but in reality, you know, this too shall pass but we we have to be more mindful of how we're approaching the problems that come into our lives. Does that does that make
1: sense? It does make sense. It does make sense. I mean, and I think that 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 maybe leads me to the, the other side of the equation is that maybe I'm in the thought of abundance, but I have never really thought of it that way. And I know you talk about that in your book, The Mindful Millionaire.
0: This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place. Like Texas, you've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com.
1: Tell our audience about abundance. I mean, we have an audience that they're focused on getting to financial freedom really quickly. I mean, you know, you, you are, you are, you're on a mission like we are to reach a million people to empower them financially. We're, our mission is pretty similar on the retire sooner podcast. We're trying to help people get to the financial checkpoints and the lifestyle and consumer behavior that allows you to, to maybe retire a little early in some cases, a lot early. But I think that that, to some extent takes a a mindset of abundance and i wanted to hear it from you what is what is that exactly
0: yeah so i think of abundance from a very personal experience today in my life and and it's probably helpful to mention that my husband and i became safe self-made millionaires in our mid 30s so now it's been almost 20 years that we've been in this place and we've seen a lot over that time so it's coming from that place but abundance to me is this ability to feel like you are the creator of your life. It doesn't mean you go after everything that you can possibly think of, but that you feel empowered to make choices that serve you, that help your family, that help make the world a better place, that you have choices and feel like you can bring those choices into reality. That's the thing that I've noticed I didn't feel growing up. I wanted to feel, and now I do feel uh, as a result of, of all of this work <laughs> and it wasn't so bringing, just the money I, I, yeah. I want to say something back yeah, when we made all that money in weeks we had this day where it's like oh my gosh we're millionaires we very quickly went from worrying about having it to worrying about keeping it and and I I want to say that this is a scarcity mindset personified where all of a sudden you just shift your attention to a new problem, but that is not an abundance mindset.
1: <laughs> and everybody faces that it's almost like this ongoing problem. The more you get, sometimes the more conservative people get. Right. And and there's also this conventional wisdom that says, Hey, the older you get, the more conservative you should get. You stop working. You feel as though the river of money has stopped Now it's just a, a reservoir, a pond, a lake. I got to protect it. So, People buy products that maybe don't make sense for them because they are buying them out of fear. So there's just, it's, but you're constantly getting hit. We're all constantly getting hit with this continuum. You did this early on, you were in your 30s and you got wealthy and then you were like, okay, now I gotta protect it. But that's an ongoing problem, right? It just keeps happening. How do you keep yourself from scarcity and stay in abundance? It has a lot to
0: do with things like gratitude, slowing down, reframing the conversation. We didn't talk about this earlier, but one of the things that I think really hurts us in today's day and age with social media are these pressures around social comparison or feeling like no matter how much you get, you don't measure up to what other people are achieving. And so I have found great joy for myself and for my clients when we can slow down and really celebrate where we've come from the the choices that we have in our lives the opportunities that we have you know just because of the internet for example the freedom to work from home to be more available to our family like it's in the moment by moment realization of just how much we have whether we have a little or we have a lot we can actually be living this no matter what right that's the point of all of it that it cannot your happiness cannot be completely tied to a dollar amount because that number can change and you don't necessarily know when that might happen. But when we are practicing these senses of, wow, look at this life I get to live. Look at, look at all the opportunity I have. It changes the way we look at our lives and, and also I think as a leader to others, we change the conversation happening for other people too.
1: I'm totally guilty of of what you just talked about is that there is no celebration in my in my life when it comes to success or money or anything. like there is zero um, no matter how well anything does, it just for some reason doesn't give me like a it doesn't give me a lift. I mean if we it's like, oh, if we can sell fifty thousand books And we sell fifty thousand books I'm, and we did, I'm like, oh, well, we really should sell hundred. then we get to hundred. it's <laughs> like, uh yeah that's good it's good enough but it'd be better to sell 150 i have this and i don't know if that's scarcity i don't know what you call that but i can tell you it is very difficult for me mentally to ever sit back and celebrate anything when it comes to money success career and 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 i'm, I'm starting to feel like wow maybe i should you should teach me how to do this so um you know but is that, that's common, too. I'm sure our listeners, it's not like people are good in America of celebrating their, their success. I mean, I, I, you know, tell me how to do that, please, Liza. Yes. I, I have no idea. I have no <laughs> idea even where to start about looking back, except, listen, I, yes, I try to practice gratitude, and I am thankful for I, where I am. But I don't think we're very good at that in America. I think we're terrible at that.
0: I would completely agree. And don't get me wrong, I work on this. It's part of the reason I love what I do now so much is I get regular reminders. But one thing we can be thinking about is enoughness, like sufficiency and enoughness. Like, what is enough in my life? And I think that when we ask ourselves that question, we realize that enough is actually very different than the egoic more, more, more. and it is a celebration when we arrive at a place of oh my gosh i have enough and and wes i'll say to you right now like this is a big thing that's been happening to me especially over this past 90 days like we sold some properties some things came together and i was like i do not actually need to add to my net worth. There is no drive to grow that number. I feel like I've reached this place of enough. and, And now I channel it more into my children and helping them kind of go where they want to go. But it's a fascinating transition when we allow ourselves to be at a place of enough. But combined with that is also an understanding of what it means to feel satisfied, like truly satiated. And, and I think the sad thing in our culture is we don't get regular training about this. Now, even if we just... If you like chocolate, I like chocolate. I really like mint-flavored chocolate. So you put that chocolate in your mouth and you sit with by that the way, me chocolate. Too, me too.
1: I, I think... Okay. By, by the <laughs> way, this is... Um, I was at a... Uh, I stayed at a rental house in Michigan. I think it, this is maybe two years ago. And in the freezer from the people that had been there before. I mean t- no nobody, nobody eats the stuff that anybody else leaves obviously, okay. right? Except for this. Because <laughs> in the freezer there was a bag of green M&Ms that they were mint M&Ms, I never had those before. And they were they were pretty much frozen, which made them even better, and I remember looking at the bag and saying, hmm normally I wouldn't do this, but I'm just gonna try because they look pretty well preserved, because they're in the freezer. <laughs> and I had a, a frozen mint M&M, which is what you're talking about, and it is the best M&M I've ever had in my life. That bag was gone in like l- literally in a minute and a half, that thing was gone. <laughs> my kids came up, I'm like, guys, you gotta taste this. Boom, thing gone. Anyway, sorry for the aside, but yeah. mint and chocolate and cold, just I'm right with you, but keep going.
0: So it's that experience that you're describing, like in that moment even if you could go back and recreate it in your mind it's this sense of like i am in heaven right now i am fully satiated this is satisfying everything that i could hope and dream about we don't spend enough time in that place and you know I've lately been talking a lot about like the slow food mo- movement, which took off maybe 10, 15 years ago, where you're slowing down and you're savoring the food when you make it and then when you eat it and then when you finish it and it's a community experience. I think that the more we can train ourselves, and I do feel like it's training ourselves to understand what it feels like to be satisfied the more we can bring that into our relationship with money and we might make different decisions for ourselves from this place of, of feeling satiated.
1: Man, you're coming at this a whole different way than I've ever even looked at this. I mean, you're throwing out a lot of terms I've never even heard before. So enoughness, I love that. I've never heard that. And the thought of being satiated when it comes to money or finances is a pretty interesting one. I mean, I, done a lot of money and happiness research over the years, and I've written about it a lot. And one of the relationships that I get to is I I kind of, to some extent, one of my drivers in this was the thought that Wall Street in general, which really drives thought in America when it comes to money because they have the money to advertise the way the way you should think about money right and they're they're publicly traded big companies you don't can't blame them because but they're in the more 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 forever category you need more you need more you need more you don't have enough and then you know, you'll hear like Susie Orman will come out and say yeah minimum you need five million dollars to retire <laughs> and you should have ten and you know we got most people in America are, are just living you know you've got a third of America living on Social Security so these are almost like shock jock type things to say but The reality here is that America and Wall Street drives you to it's never enough. And then I found out empirically in one of my research studies that if you look at median happiness, the median from the unhappy group to the happy group is interestingly a lot less than Wall Street would have said. It actually ends up, I'm drawing this out as we speak, there's an inflection point right at about 500 grand. Um, And that's not a ton of money in the world that we live in, right? I mean, it's not what gets celebrated in headlines, $500,000. still a lot of money to get to for most people. But it is this seeming actual, some sort of inflection point from maybe it's really, hey, at least I could pay the bills. Um, I guess how do you, in a world that tells us it's never enough, we become satiated with money, is mostly from gratitude and pause and slowing down? Is that... A big part of it?
0: I think it has a lot to do with what is the emotional drivers behind the decisions that you're making. So, you know, I mentioned, I would say that I kind of entered in this crisis because I was so used to being driven and then all of a sudden pausing and realizing that I wanted something different for myself. And and what I realized, like I said, was I went from it being about myself and and retirement and taking care of all the things that my husband and I need to all of a sudden shifting to think, well, how could I set my children up? How could I help them have a, a healthy foundation? Or how can I help my clients do this same sort of stuff? And so it's just this shift of all about me to all about, you know, service or being Available to others, you know, and even the decisions that we make. Like, I noticed in my business because I'm a small business owner, I noticed that I was spending too much time doing this work and not enough time doing things that I really enjoy and love. And sometimes it even takes space to even know what that is. Like, so pausing or slowing down or really learning how to outsource, right? I have a team of people that work with me and giving them more responsibility so that I could have more freedom. Like, it's not that there's one size fits all. It's that I'm asking those questions of how do I live a more optimal life and how can I also leave the world in a better place than I found it? Like, what does that mean for me? So I just think having time to think differently about what it means to, you know, be really happy on that last day of your life where you look back and you think well how did i use my time how did i use my resources how big of a love bubble did i create in the world you know like what's important that's another new
1: term i'm gonna do a ding every time It's a ding new new term love bubble by the way love bubble and uh, retired suitor sooner podcast sponsored by mint flavored chocolate MMs. the let's go to this when we're getting stressed about money and let's say things are not going well. And you went through this tragedy, which is awful. I mean, it sounds terrible. I mean, you were young and your father obviously was young and he was. And all of that is that's this major stress that mm-hmm. you've gone through that woke almost woke you up. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was a life event. But then we also have these money events that we go through. How do you de-stress from that or how do you get through it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I teach meditation because meditation has been such a pivotal part of my life and I think that again just for everything that you said earlier about the the moving fast forward I've realized that I needed to change those behaviors. And and so what I show people and teach people how to do is to breathe, to pause, to maybe even have breath work practices in the morning. And then that turns into some quiet time where we spend in reflection of where we're headed, what we're working on, what's most important to us. I've also noticed that this idea one of the biggest teachings I got after my dad died that I took years to really understand was this idea that we are not actually in control of what happens to us in our lives. But just because we're not in control of it doesn't mean that we don't have the power to transform the things that happen. So when something happens or an upset occurs or difficulty is is presented, I do look at the transformation. I do look at where there might be opportunities to grow and and become a better person as a result of the thing that's coming up. Uh, and, and I've noticed other people benefit. But when we do that, we can let go of the immediate problem. We can let go of all that stress and anxiety. And then we can start to reframe and plan, well, what am I going to do next? Like, Because I think that is part of, Being a creative being is like the ability to plan, not from fear, but plan from vision and plan from something we're super excited about, plan from the things that matter most to us. Because if we're lucky when we have upsets occur or challenges, even like COVID, we're able to look at it and say, well, what am I going to improve As a result, rather than cause it to make me, you know, angry and frustrated and hating my neighbor, like I'm not going to go that path. I'm going to transform it into a way that that actually is better than what I had before.
1: I feel like I'm the only person that isn't meditating these days. I feel like I'm like the last guy standing and I it's not that I don't want to do it. I even I think I put it on my New Year's resolution for the years to start I guess it's TM, was a transcendental meditation. Do you? Is that the kind of meditation you do, or what's your what is your meditation of choice?
0: So, a funny story. I started I like my TM, meditation
1: Sherpa today. <laughs>
0: yeah. I started meditating when I was eight, but it was my dad was into TM, and um, it didn't work out so well. So uh, now I am very much oriented to the breath, the quietness, the celebration. But it's taken me years. I studied Buddhism for many years, and um, that that helped me learn a regular practice. But one of the things that we can give to everyone is a is a meditation that I've created. It's it it's kind of wild, but I will say it works. Is it's a chakra meditation? So you bring your attention into these centers in your body. This is going back to ancient. Indian psychology 4,000 years okay. back. <laughs> we
1: got a lot of new stuff on this episode, so keep it coming.
0: I'm not making this up. <laughs> um, but, but what I do is I teach people how to get more in touch with these energy centers in their body but we use the, the meditation and the breath to notice where we're holding on to patterns of scarcity. So we can give everyone access to this meditation. You could try it out. A lot of people, thousands of people all over the world using it on a daily basis because it helps us look at not just the mindfulness that we're talking about, but also the scarcity patterns and breaking those patterns.
1: So do you do this in, in, the, in your wealth clinic? Is that, is that where you do this? And, and it is called chok- chokra? Chakra meditation. meditation. Chakra. Yeah, chakra
0: meditation. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: it's it's one of the things that I've become known for. Um, I had a meditation practice uh, maybe five or six years ago after I started my business. I started playing with the chakras, which is what I explore in the book a little bit. Um, And I realized that I had found a way to help people look at some of these challenges in a very different way, which obviously, (laughs) you know, I'm a certified financial planner. I am grounded in this world and I like the, the ethereal, I like the magical and the mystical, and I wanted to bring those two things together. And the meditation helps you do that.
1: You are America's spiritual money advisor you really are (laughs) there there is nobody else quite like it which is which is cool and that's why I think this is something very new for our audience Uh, you know here I am this host I've been doing radio and media for 15 years almost and you know i've never talked about meditation or anything like this in all these years so my audience is like yeah wes you're clueless about this <laughs> and liza that's why we brought you on is to talk about even though i've never done it i actually am very open to it and i do think that it has a ton of merit because there is no perfect or easy answer to the to the mental side of money it's just not i mean nobody has the perfect answer nobody's figured it out and if you have a way to help and you do, Liza, then I think it's, I think it's worth exploring. And that's why I think, it's, I think this is great for you to be able to talk about it. With supply
0: chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on Logistics Insights at maersk.com
1: slash insights. Let's talk about women and men and money. Uh, I know that this is one of the topics that you like to talk about a little bit, and you've got investing and savings. I think of it a little bit as like, I guess, and I learned this maybe the first year I was in the investment business, and today it's probably, I'd be canceled for this. But, you know, the way I was explained is that... Men think of money a little bit more like a river and it, like its money is flowing. And women think of money almost like as a reservoir and it's this thing to protect. I don't know if that's right. You probably think I'm crazy, but that's what I learned early on. It's probably you know something to get canceled for these days. But, you, know, <laughs> you tell me what the difference is.
0: Yeah, well, and I think that we can look at it even from the lens of feminine and masculine and these traits are universal. So we all tap into them but there are these biological things that have happened over you know the thousands and thousands of years of women being the protector of the home and being able to make sure that all the answers are gonna keep everyone safe, whereas men go out and bring it back. <laughs> and like, you know there's those mm-hmm. things that play into this, but, but what I would say about it is By I've wait, known- By the way, you said all
1: that, not me. I didn't say any of that, Okay. That you said that. <laughs> Yes, exactly.
0: I'm owning it like there are biological things at hand. I see them. I work with a lot of women about, you know, 80 percent more and more men. I'll go through waves are interested in this conversation, but a lot of women are. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that we are interested in the touchy feely emotional aspects of money more than other folks might be. And because we're interested in that, and we know that we are motivated by the touchy-feely things, we want to understand our emotions more than maybe some guys want to understand their emotions about money. Like, that's it. Like, that's, I just noticed it again and again. It opens up a conversation that my men clients love. Like, it's like, wait a minute, we're going to get to talk about this. And the more they lean into it, the more they enjoy talking about it because they're like, I've never talked about these things before. So I just think it's fun to pay attention to the differences. And I want to also say that I approached money from a very masculine approach for the majority, you know, of that first 30 years of my life. Then I went totally in the other direction and looked at all the touchy-feely stuff. But in the past few years, what I've noticed is it's both and. If we can be both, we can be practical and we can be ethereal. We can focus on our feelings and our emotions and get in touch with that. And we can make really, really good decisions from a practical goal setting perspective because that's how I've built my wealth. I like the combination of both of them not being either or or one being better than the other because that's simply limiting at best.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know how anybody could argue with that. I think it, you're, you're you're not discounting, uh, let's say, maybe a more traditional approach, and you, but you're saying that there's a lot to this getting in touch and uh, understanding the mental side and the emotional side, which we know is important, and that's usually where people fail. So, yeah, it makes sense that you have to put them together. Is it as simple as... The the thought of being, let's say, aggressive with money and defensive in the Millionaire Next Door book that Thomas Stanley wrote about, he talked about how millionaires are both good, they're good at offense, but they're good at defense. Now, in his context, it was defense was don't spend a lot, offense was he'll go out and make the money, and that's kind of his way to look at it. Is that a difference between men and women at all, or or not? Is that similar to what you're talking about, or not really?
0: I think that's one way to look at it. One thing I would interject that might be a little different going back to something like spending, because I think that there can be a tendency when we're budgeting to cut out everything and live this very like bare bones, I'm gonna spend as little as I possibly can so that I have a better future, right? So Economic dif- shutdown, yeah. Yeah, so the difference here is about getting in touch with your values and the things that are absolutely the most important to you. And then prioritizing spending so that the things that are most important to you are getting probably more than what you were spending on things that aren't actually important. So it's it's reconfiguring the way that you're organizing your spending behavior so that you can have a beautiful, fulfilling life today and have money left over for the future. So it's it's both and.
1: That's a tough balance, right? It's a hard balance for people. How does that relate then back to self-care, right? I mean, self-care is something that I know that we talk about more and more in America. As life gets crazier and crazier and, and more demanding, there's certainly more of a realization that we've also got to take care of ourselves. Uh, what are your self-care let's say practices when it comes to money
0: i think that just like we were speaking about just really paying close attention to what am i truly buying here so a few weeks ago i surprised my husband and said we're going to kawaii it's just opened up let, planned it last minute it, there were some you know things that we had to like test for COVID and other stuff, but yeah. it was like, and and what was funny is at first I thought I'm buying a vacation. I'm buying, like, get it, going to Hawaii. That's what I'm buying. But when I looked inside of what I was actually buying, I was buying romance and connection with my husband. And that was the thing that was really missing in through COVID and not having time away from my 16-year-old, you know, like... It was, it was the ability to really buy that. And when I got in touch with that, it made me cry. Like I want to be clear, when we get in touch with our deepest values of what we're actually buying with our money, it should make us cry. Because it's a realization that this is something that's way more important to me than going to Hawaii. It's about developing a deeper and more exceptional relationship with my husband. That was what I was buying. And we can actually do this with everything in life, is get to the real meat of what it is that our money is doing for us. And all of a sudden, you know, the things that don't do that for us become glaringly obvious, and we won't waste time, money, and energy on them anymore. And again, that gives us more money to spend on the things that do matter.
1: You know, it is an interesting exercise, and I, I suspect, though, that is one of the things you try to help people with, is that you're you're going deeper and deeper into the root cause of why you're doing something financially. And if you really stop and think, you could ask that question a couple of times. Like, why are you doing this? I don't want to go to Hawaii. Well, you no, know, no, why are you really – why do you want to go to Hawaii? Well, I want to spend more time with my – husband well why do you want to spend more time with my husband well because really covid has been a place where we haven't really had a lot of time together because it's been about the kids so okay well let's go one more layer and then so that's like four or five layers down is what you're saying and i guess we could do that almost on on lies on on almost anything we're buying
0: yeah Yeah, Yeah, because because think about it, like some people buy things. And I mean, this isn't to like judge, but some people buy things because it's going to look really good on their Instagram feed nowadays. I'm buying it so that I can put it on Instagram. Now, what's interesting about that is that that probably isn't it. But until you take the time to really dive into, well, what is it inside of it? We live our lives thinking that we're Living our life so that we look good on Instagram, but not living at the level of meaning and purpose and our values, which are the things that are going to light us up and cause us to be really excited. I, I promise you, I enjoyed that vacation completely different than if I had thought about it as being able to post some really cool photos on Facebook being the reason behind it versus what I actually showed up and got from it. because. Our mind is very important. What we decide actually creates the reality we're living. So when you make a decision, it's about romance and connection. That's what you get.
1: Yeah, what are you really buying is the question uh, that that gets deep. And I can see how important that would be. Uh, And again, I, I haven't thought of it quite on that level. So again, new and helpful information here on the retire student podcast. I love this. Last question for you. I know you've helped people, and you and you do this in a different, let's say, a unique way than anyone I've ever talked to. And what is a maybe an example of a really tough financial situation that you've helped somebody through? Because because your approach is so different.
0: There's a lot of stories, but one that's coming up is um, a man that I worked with who had kind of these feast or famine cycles in the past with money. So up and down, money came in, then it was all gone and he didn't know how he was gonna pay his bills. So just up and down. And in the work that we did, we uncovered, and we're not even really talking about it so much here, but we uncovered a pocket of deep shame that had been leading his life and sort of running away from shame and just some experiences when he was growing up. And in the ability to notice what was causing these ups and downs um, in his money and letting those go, what was so fascinating is people come to my work because of the money, but when we got into it, we realized that this had a lot to do with his relationship with his father. And in understanding how that relationship was still playing out today, even though none of those things that happened in the past were repeating themselves, he was holding on to this story. He was able to go back and and deepen his relationship with his father. And his father, within a very short amount of time, actually passed away. And I mean, you can't make this stuff up, because had we not had a conversation that started with money, that took us down a journey that we didn't really know what to expect, but that he was able to heal it and forgive himself and move beyond it, goes back, connects with his father, has deep, meaningful conversations. His father passes away and he says, oh my gosh, money, it's not just about the money. It's about everything in my life and that when I become more cognizant of the, of the snags that keep me in a bad cycle with money, actually translated into all these other areas he he fell in love and and met the woman of his dreams like all these crazy things and people say to me like wait a minute I thought it was about the money but it's actually about the life that I'm living and I'm creating for myself
1: I feel like you're gonna get a lot of calls after this (laughs) after after people listen to this podcast do you do this one-on-one anymore or do you do this with big groups like how are your teachings uh, in in this stage of your career,
0: yeah, I do a little bit of one to one work. Um, as you can imagine, it's quite consuming because I can only sort of hold space for a few people at any given moment. One of the things I it was important to me with the book was. To write a book where people could do this work on their own. So, I am not one of those where you hold stuff back. Like, I put everything that I could possibly put in the book. You'll see it's pretty hefty, almost 300 pages. Like, there's a lot of advice to follow, not that I'm telling you, but questions that you get asked, and then you get to answer those questions for yourself. But I also have group programs. So some people are running their business and they're wanting to bring more mindfulness practices into the way they run their business. I help them on a coaching perspective. I also have a community around, based with people around the world who are wanting to have more mindfulness in their relationship with money. So they have more joy, but they also get over whatever's holding them back. And again, we talk about money, but then we always see the common threads with all the other parts of our lives and we laugh, and then we we have better lives as a result. So that's what I'm up to. sounds
1: so good. So thank you for your fresh perspective on this. I mean, again, you know, it sounds like from an early, early age, you, kind of were set up to be able to be the leader of let's say the mindful money movement in America and it, it sounds like you are I mean again this is a lot of new things for me and it's it, I, it's always a good podcast if I find a bunch of new things out and then I don't we don't always do that right I mean yeah. a lot of financial advice is the same thing over and over and over and over again which is okay and it's good and because a lot of it is fundamental it needs to be done and people need financial Uh, vitamin C over and over again. You need to keep relearning, relearning, relearning. Uh, But I don't always find new, let's call it um, sets of vitamins. And I think you did that today. So that's very cool. and And I really am thankful for that.
0: Can I compliment you at just your openness and receptivity to things that are out of the box? Like I'm super, super grateful that you're willing to have this kind of conversation.
1: You can call it openness. You can call it cluelessness you can call it whatever (laughs) but just i but i'm so interested in in all of these topics and if it can help our audience um then it's interesting to me so uh and i think you do an amazing job so thank you and uh, thanks for being with us here today and um i will continue to stay in touch
0: thank you so much Wes. thank you listeners this is super fun
2: information.